Oh, wonderful. What a, what a powerful reading today. A powerful reading from God's Word in the book of Acts. The title today is Being Bold for Jesus. Having a bold heart to witness for Jesus. Because we all know that it's very easy to be comfortable over here in our Western worlds. We can just get on with our own tasks and it's very hard to be really truly bold for Jesus. Because we get on with our work, we get on with our chores or our study, we do our weekly tasks, we get them done and then we rest. But are we being bold for Jesus in what our weekly activities look like? We should ask ourselves, what am I doing to honour Jesus? Because if all we are doing is just worldly tasks, we're missing the point. And in this passage today, there is opposition. And a question for you, should we let opposition stop us from witnessing for Jesus? What do you think? If there's some opposition, should we, should we listen to that? No. We're saying no. Is that right? Any yeses out there? <laughs> Melvin, you think we should stop? We should remain quiet? <laughs> well, people might ignore us if we talk about Jesus. They might reject us. They might be living without hope. So should we just ignore people and stop witnessing? Should anyone or anything stop us from witnessing to Jesus? And the answer, of course, is no. And a reality check, if we are to stop as a church and to say, where are we truly at? Are we as a church and are we as an individual truly witnessing for Jesus? Are we doing our things, our deeds and our words that we're speaking, are they honouring Jesus and witnessing to Him? Because sadly, I would have to say that this is an area that we need to grow so much in as a church. We struggle in this. We struggle greatly. And I think we can learn a lot from the passage today. To be bold. Because they faced a lot of opposition. There was a lot of opposition that the first followers of Jesus went through. But remarkably, they used that opposition as just another opportunity to witness even more. Think about that. That's the first point today, that they used opposition as a witness, as an opportunity to witness even more. And so from our reading today, we can see that the opposition came from the very top. Now they were arrested and put before the Jewish religious leaders. And so you could just imagine who they were they before. If you look at this back in verse 1, we see that it was the Sadducees. And then in verse 6, it's the very high priest themselves, including Caiaphas, who, who was before Jesus. So they were brought before the very pinnacle of the Jewish leaders. And yet, they didn't stop. They didn't let the importance of these people stop them from declaring the greatness of Jesus. And we see why they wanted them to stop. In chapter 3, there's this amazing miracle that, goes, that takes place. Peter and John are going to the temple at the time of pray, and this lame man gets healed. It's a wonderful testimony to God, and Peter speaks to the crowd. 
and they come around and Jesus declares that there's this beautiful resurrection life that's available in Jesus. And many people come and, and listen. But the, 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 the guards come around them, arrest them. And the, the reason why they're arrested is told to us in verse 2. It says, They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they were arrested simply because they went to the temple and said that there is a resurrection available now in the name of Jesus. And so these so-called religious leaders, they want to squash the name of Jesus and they wanted to squash this idea that there was a resurrection life, that people could come alive in Jesus and go to heaven for eternity. They wanted that silenced. And straight away as we think through this passage, I think the resurrection is under, under attack today. There's a battle going on and some atheists, of course, attack the resurrection because they feel that if they win that battle, they'll win people. But I tell you what, there's a bigger battle going on and it surrounds people's views around going to heaven. It's, it's this view that everyone can go to heaven. It's, it's this idea that it doesn't really matter where we put Jesus in our lives. As long as we are sort of a good enough person, we're an okay person in society, then we get to go to heaven. And so the resurrection of Jesus doesn't matter. And so we go to a secular funeral. And what do people say? Oh, what a good person. I look forward to seeing you in heaven. And yet there's no evidence in their life that they believed or followed Jesus. And so they're basically making a mockery of the, of the resurrection and who Jesus is. So too, all these people are making up their own beliefs these days. Oh, I'll believe this, you believe that. And everyone can just go to heaven. It's beautiful. But where does Jesus fit into the picture? The resurrection is under attack. It's all through our society. There's so few that are holding up and to say that there is one way and it's through Jesus to find life. But what is encouraging about this passage is that God never gives up. God is always at work. People can never stop God. People can never stop God's plan. Let's have a look closely at what is happening in verse 4. While these religious leaders lock up these Christians, we read, But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. This was a growing church. Even as they tried to stop the Christian message, the church continued to grow. We saw last week that it was 3,000. Now we're up to 5,000. This is a growing church as people are witnessing to the Lord Jesus. And so this church is growing. They had heart's desire for Jesus, this group of people. They were devoted. We saw that last week, how devoted those Christians were, but it was devoted to, to the things of God. You might recall they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship. It was a, a, a focus on God and as they got near to God and worshipped Him, the Holy Spirit was working in their hearts to send them out to witness to others. And they were, witnessed, they were witnessing and the church was growing. And I want us to be encouraged by that this morning, to say if we focus on God and if we do what He wants, the church will grow. It's not going to shrink, it's only going to grow when we do what God wants us to do. So may we be encouraged to follow their example. And notice in this passage how Peter and John were put on the spot. The very pinnacle of religious leaders brought them in for this trial and they gave them a very direct question. 
Anyone tell me what Peter did the last time that Jesus was put on trial? Anyone remember what happened to Peter earlier in the Bible? That's right, he denied. Even, it wasn't even Jesus was on trial, it was just some servant girls and some people out by a fire and he said three times, I don't know this guy Jesus. And now here he is with God's Spirit upon him in probably one of the biggest trials you could ever have in life. Is he going to lie? Is he going to avoid the truth? Is he going to scour away from the question? No. Let's have a look from verse 7, what takes place. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, doesn't run away, he doesn't carry away or try to lie, he said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. How clear. He was so direct in answering the question. Yes, he was respectful. Yes, he affirmed the miracle that had taken place was the work of God's. And he says that this message is for you and it's for all Israel. That this power, this healing has come by one name, the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The person that they had rejected and crucified was the powerful one and that God had raised from the dead. And here they go. They were being challenged because of the resurrection to their face. Jesus declares the resurrection. Obviously, Peter declares the resurrection of Jesus once again. What a clear answer. Focused on Jesus. And then in verse 11, Jesus is, he continues, the stone that the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. What a clear message for there to wake up and to realize. They were rejecting Jesus, the religious leaders and those that went with them. Jesus, the beautiful one who had come, they'd rejected him, but Jesus was the cornerstone. The cornerstone is the most important stone in the building. And so he's declaring by quoting this psalm, it's Psalm 118, that they had rejected Jesus, but Jesus is God's Son and the one that they should be trusting and believing Him and believing in. And then in verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. He makes it so clear. There is a way to be saved and it's in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. He was declaring that Jesus is the only way to know God, the only way to find peace with God because there is one name under heaven and earth by which we can be saved. There is one Saviour and that is Jesus. And it's the same today. It is the same that if we want to know God, if we want peace with God, we look to Jesus and to Him alone. There is no other way for people to know God and to have the hope of eternal life. It is only through Jesus Christ that we can find that hope and eternity, a hope for eternity. 
And back in 319, the rightful response of people, Peter tells the crowd, I want to turn back to that. In chapter 3, verse 19, Peter said to the crowds, Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. And then last week in chapter 2, these words that Peter said to the crowds about what they should do, because remember they were struck to the hearts. What should we do, brothers, they said. And Peter replied, this is Acts 2.38. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord your God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. It's all about Jesus. Peter is so clear and what a witness was taking place. What a witness. And the rightful response for us is to repent. That's the rightful response in life, is to repent and to turn to Jesus Christ and to believe in Him. And the religious leaders, sadly, they didn't take heed of what was said, but instead they put Peter and John aside and they decide to have their little meeting and they come up with a worldly plan. And now their plan is that they can't deny the miracle. So they say, right, this miracle's taken place in the temple, we can't deny it. The best that we can do is tell Peter and John to remain silent. Stop talking about this guy called Jesus, they decide. Do that. But what do Peter and John do when they tell them that? In verse 19, that Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to, to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. In their heart's desire, they're not going to listen to these so-called religious leaders. They're going to listen to God and what He's declared through His Son, Jesus. They're going to keep telling of what God has done. They're going to keep getting bolder and bolder and keep witnessing to honour God. And there's a challenge, as I've started that first question, is we, we, we face opposition, then we use that as encouragement to be even bolder. The response for us should be one of, of, of copying these disciples to be boldly going and declaring Jesus. And when people tell us to stop, we keep going. We don't give in to, to the pressures of this world saying, stop talking about this Jesus, because we should turn that around and to bring honor to the name of Jesus. And what I love is that this isn't just the apostles. So maybe we say, oh, well, it's just about the apostles doing the right thing, this passage. The other people could just sit and comfort in their homes. But we know that didn't take place because the response of all the believers probably excites me more than the response of the, the apostles who were put on trial. It's both impressive. And the second point this morning is that we should use opposition as a prayer. And it's a prayer for boldness, a boldness to speak God's word. If we get any sort of opposition, we turn to the Lord in prayer and we say, Lord, this is taking place. Help us to be bold for your namesake, to speak your words. And that's exactly what happens as Acts 4 continues. The believers pray. 
So from verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They didn't cower away. They didn't go into hiding. They weren't fearful. They were people of prayer and they trusted God and His might and His power. They were people of prayer, trusting the all-powerful God. And so they used this opposition of Peter and John as a a lead into prayer. And let's look to what they prayed. Praying to, to the Almighty God, they said, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They start praying and they start acknowledging that God is God. That is always a good place to begin any prayer. That Lord God, you are powerful, you are sovereign, you are the ruler of God's the one true God. And from there, they declare that God is the creator and they acknowledge that God, by His Holy Spirit, had already predicted and declared that this would take place. He's actually quoting Psalm 2, which is a wonderful read if you would like to read it later on. A beautiful read about God working through difficult times. And the bit he focuses on, it says that nations that peoples, that kings and rulers will all rise up in vain trying to work against God. But that it won't work. It's in vain. You can never stop the work of God. And you can never stop God's anointed one. God's anointed one, of course, is Jesus. Jesus Christ. If you didn't know the title Christ, it means anointed one. It's the same term in the Hebrew, Messiah. Jesus Christ or Jesus of the Messiah, it means God's anointed one. That's where we get that title from. God's anointed one is Jesus. And he is the one that God is working through. And the people can do all they want. They can put as much energy into their their, their plans and their plots as they want, but it will never stop the work of God. And so they acknowledge this in their prayers. They acknowledge that and they continue. In verse 27, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After acknowledging God, now their prayers, they, they turn on to asking. They're acknowledging that, that this, is, this is pointless, what the people are doing, it had been predicted beforehand. And they said, look, just consider those threats. We don't even want you to stop them. They said, Lord, these threats are taking place. But what we're asking for is a great boldness, a great boldness to go and declare your word to the world, to people. And it was all of them praying this prayer. 
that they all wanted the power from God's Spirit to be sent out to witness. And as they went out, they asked that God would give them His power at work, that He would demonstrate who He was through healing miracles, through signs and wonders that would bring honour to Jesus by what they were doing. They're His holy servant, Jesus. And so they prayed and they asked for this boldness. They asked that God would work powerfully and the prayer, was it heard? Do you think this, this open, heartfelt prayer of all the believers coming together, was it heard? <laughs> That's right. It is so clear that this prayer was heard in a powerful way. Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. There's a new prayer meeting for us to undertake. <laughs> the whole room starts shaking as we pray. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they went out because they spoke the word of God boldly. Wow, God hears their prayers. The whole room starts shaking as they're praying together with this passion that they will have this heart to witness. And obviously God wants it. God knows that this is the right thing for them to do. So he moves in this powerful way that he shakes the whole room, but the shaking makes them unshakable. There's nothing that's going to get in their way now He's going to go out. They're going to go out. And once again, I want to reaffirm, it is not just the apostles that are going to go out. It is everyone that's going out to do this, to witness and to declare the Word of God to anyone that would listen. It was for all believers, and they prayed it, and they went. And what an example for us. Now, I have a concern that we're getting a bit sleepy with our witnessing. We're sort of going like, oh, well, look, I hope someone witnessed somewhere at some stage and, you know, I'll do a little bit. But I think the analogy is more like a big sports stadium because we know that in a big sports match, there are so many people that desperately need a break on the field. There's a few Christians that are, are witnessing and they need a break or they, they need some encouragement. And yet there's, some, there's this huge stadium around and they're like, oh, well done. You're doing a great job. Yeah. I'll even um, pay my ticket to come and, and to, to make sure that you get to keep going and doing that. But the people in the stadium are the ones that should be on the field getting fit. And so we, as God's people, should all be out witnessing. Yes, it's good to encourage others. It's good to encourage. But surely we should be convicted to go and tell others about Jesus Christ, to do what God's want, God wants. You might say, oh, really, I don't do that. Well, look about what God's Holy Spirit does here. These believers prayed. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. And where did they go? They went out and told other people boldly about Jesus. So there is a challenge here to say, well, if we believe in God and we have his Holy Spirit, we don't keep it to ourselves. We go out. It's as clear as that. Every single person who believes in Jesus Christ we draw near to Jesus, we seek Him, but then there's a sending out that we have a responsibility to tell others of the greatness and the truth and the salvation of Jesus. We go and we speak it clearly and powerfully. We share God's Word with others. That's what we should do. We shouldn't just encourage a select few. All of us should go and do it. Will we face opposition? Or resistance if we go? Yes. 
But what is the example here? The whole point is any opposition should help us to be bolder and to pray more and to do it more. We shouldn't just shrink away when there's a challenge. The reality is, is that I think the church around us, we're asleep. We need to wake up. There's a whole world out there that's lost and doesn't have any hope of eternity. I was thinking about this this week. How many people in Coro are actually witnessing at the moment who, who feel that they've got God's Spirit and are actually going out and telling them about Jesus? How many of us are there in the whole town or this whole region? 10? 20? Maybe? Of, of, of thousands of people, there's so few are actually witnessing. It is concerning to me. Is it not concerning to you that there is this whole group of people it is a reality that we need to get a hold, that God's desire is that we witness, that we take Jesus to others. And we don't just leave it for someone else. We take the challenge on. We pray and we go ourselves. We speak of the treasure that we've had because God's church is supposed to be a witnessing church. God's spirit is about enabling us to go and to share the truth. May we have hearts to do that. Let us pray. Oh, Lord God, how we, we love you and, and thankful, so thankful that people have reached out to us with the good news of Jesus. That, Lord, you have worked through your people for generations to keep the message of hope and life going. And, Lord, as we look through this generation around us of, of so few people who know you and so few people in, in desperate need of Jesus, we pray, Lord, that you will fill us with a, a new heart, a heart of boldness to, to go and to tell and to share what we found in Jesus with others. Lord, give us a new boldness that we've never had before, a boldness to, to actually go and to speak and, and to share, to be clear about what we stand for and who we stand for and where the true power in this world belongs. Lord, we acknowledge that we get so easily distracted and we lose our purpose. Help us, Lord, to be filled by your Spirit so that we'll be sent out. And we ask this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.